Let your church say amen. amen. Come on, everybody say amen again. Amen. How many know that you can survive this thing? No matter what you're going through. Come on, somebody. How many know you can survive this thing? How many are in the fight of their lives and you just need to know that I can survive this thing? Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet right where you are. Stand right where you are. Grab your Bibles. Hopefully you bought them because you know this is the only textbook that we have. We're coming straight out of the word. Amen. Just grab that Bible. Don't worry. You won't have to stand anymore unless you just want to. But just grab that Bible. Put that thing in the air. Somebody used to say back in the day, get a devil a headache. Right. Right. Repeat after me. Thy word. Thy word. Oh, come on. Say it with a little gusto. Thy word, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God. Come on, say it with some strength. The word of God is my textbook. Not what the preacher says. Not what I think. Not what my mama said. But the word. Oh, come on, somebody. The word. Come on, I can't hear you. The word of God is my textbook. Amen. Let's give the Lord a great praise tonight. You may be seated. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you in advance for the testimony we just saw. There, some of us dragged ourselves in here tonight with the burdens that are on our shoulders. And we're just hoping that we'll hear something tonight that'll lift our spirits. And let us know no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the fight is, your word says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And God, before I go a step further, I'm just excited tonight that you love me. We're excited tonight that we serve a God that loves us. He's not mad at us. He's madly in love with us. And we give your name praise. Now, Lord, we ask. As we get into the word, we've done this before. We've heard sermons and been impressed and some have made a difference and some haven't. But God, I, I suspect tonight that you want to preach. I suspect tonight that you want to do the teaching. So I'm praying, God, that you'll just move me out of the way and that you will do the talking through me so that we hear from nobody else but God. This is our prayer in that name that is so worthy in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen again. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you are fighting for your lives tonight? Amen. amen. Somebody give Jesus a good shout tonight. If you love Jesus, let me hear you say yeah. yeah. Ah, if you love God, let me hear you say yeah. yeah. If you love God, say I love God. I love God. Now, if you love God, the Bible says that means you've got to love people. So I want you to look at your neighbor, whether you know him or not, say I love you too. I don't know you, but I love you. Know you, but I love you. That was a little weak, though. <laughs> we was all forced, forced with the I love, I love God. Then we look at people like, I, I love you too. The Bible says you're a liar if you claim you love God, don't love people. So let's try that one more time. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? It amazes me, real quick. It amazes me. You know, <laughs> some, of, some of the most uh, non sensitive people are men. You know, some, sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't really show emotion. Um, it's probably really not cool for us to show emotion. Come on, say amen. Uh, I've heard some brothers, a man shouldn't cry and stuff like that. But it's amazing what sports will do to a man. Man, I, I, brothers will pat one. Now, listen, I'm, these are straight brothers now. Brothers, 
after brothers make a basketball shot, they'll pat one another on the behind? Oh, you act like y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, somebody will hit a winning shot like I saw yesterday, and men will jump on top of each other and hug one another. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the strongest of men win a championship like Michael Jordan, and they're crying. Listen, I don't know if there's anybody out there who's worthy to get some emotion out of us except Jesus. <laughs> uh, I know y'all, y'all hope RG3 might come to Cleveland, you know, or whatever quarterback things might. Maybe a Super Bowl might come here one day and I can see us in the stands. And it's going to be dancing in the street when the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, but, but let me ask you a question. Let's try this one more time. Let's make some noise for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords like he's worthy of it tonight. If you love Jesus, let me hear you say yes. Yeah. yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. All right, let's get right to it. We're in the Fight of Our Lives series. This is round number three. We got 12 rounds, including our Saturdays. As a matter of fact, this Saturday at 1115, we'll be right back here to get into the word of God. And we're particularly dealing with the struggle. How many are in some kind of struggle? Just lift your hand in the air. You don't got to tell all your business tonight, but... I might tell mine, but uh, you don't got to tell all your business, but you, at least you're in a struggle. Just one more time. I just need to feel comfortable in here. I don't want to feel like I'm by myself. Yeah, everybody's in a struggle. And incidentally, one of the things that we've been teaching you is that the fight that you're in is really not the fight you think you're in. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, everybody look at the screen. The Bible says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Fight the good fight of what? Faith. So listen, let me be clear on this. When we start talking about the fight of our lives, there's really only one fight, period. All the drama you're dealing with, all the issues that you've experienced over your lifetime, it's all been strategically designed either to put faith in you or to take faith out of you. And one of the things we talked about in our last message is that the enemy arranges circumstances in our lives simply to take our faith. Let's get this clear. We're fighting for our faith. Everybody repeat after me. I'm fighting. Come on, talk back to me. I'm fighting for my faith. How many feel that thing? Every day you're challenged just to trust, just to hang in there, just to believe. Many of us doubt ourselves. Many of us doubt our abilities. Many, but, but don't you know that your God says that he will supply all of your needs according to your, his riches and glory? The enemy's number one desire is not to kill us, but his number one desire is to kill our faith. How many know it's a faith fight tonight? Let's review a little bit for those of you who didn't get a chance. We talked about the assassination of God. I just want to run very quickly. We said war started where? In what? <laughs> Lucifer got full of what? Uh-huh. And by the way, you got the handout tonight of exactly what I'm going to preach on. Everything that I'm going to preach on, you got it. Ain't no secrets here. Uh, he got full of himself. Number three, he deceived how many of the angels? By the way, the Bible says there's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels. That's a symbolic way of saying that the angels are infinite or innumerable. In other words, you can't count how many angels there are. There's more than a billion. There's more than a trillion. There's more than a gazillion. But out of all of those angels that God created, Satan or Lucifer, Lucifer first, then became Satan. He convinced a third of them to follow him. How many know that boy is bad? I'm serious. Like, literally, he's bad. Come on, say amen. Number four, what happened to him? He then got what? Kicked out of what? He got kicked out of heaven. And then we learn that he and his angels have come to earth to cast doubt about God. Now, what do we now call these fallen angels? We call them demons. And what do we now call Lucifer, who used to be the, it was God up top, right? 
It was Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, all equal. And just below them, it was Lucifer. And Lucifer now has become who? What's his name, everybody? Satan, or the, or the devil, or the deceiver. And uh, he and his angels have come to earth to do one thing. If it's a faith fight, then Satan's number one desire is to put doubt in your mind. All right? Number six, he hates us. Why does he hate us? Because we're made in the image of God. Yeah, isn't that deep? That the only reason why the devil hates you is because when he sees you, you remind him of God. But I mean, listen, I don't care how you feel about yourself. You were made in the image of God. Come on, say amen, somebody. And so when he sees you, he's mad at God. Now, so let me clear this up. It's really not about you. It's about God. But the devil knows the way to get at God's people is the way to get at God is to get at God's people. Amen. We talked about that. And then uh, we recognized on Tuesday that life is a test. Woo. Man. Just the thought of that. I mean, we're being tested right now. Right now, God is paying attention to what we're doing. Right now, the enemy is tempting us to get us to fail the test. Every waking moment that we breathe, we're being tested. Somebody shout real loud. I'm being tested. Yeah. And number six, Satan in the test, this is what he does. And we looked at the story of Job. Satan tries to inflict as much pain and disappointment in our lives so he can get us to fail the test by not having faith in God. Can I just give you some hope tonight? God never said that the, that the success of passing the test is being totally perfect. He said the success in passing the test is being totally faithful. There's a difference between being faithful and being perfect. Come on, say amen, somebody. And in God's eyes, if you're faithful, then you're perfect. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. How many have made at least one mistake in this lifetime? And how many enough to admit that you made a couple of mistakes? Put your both hands up in the air. Yeah, we're all sinners. We've made mistakes. But aren't you glad to know tonight? Oh, I get so excited about my God. My God does not look at me based on every deed or misdeed that I've done. But my God looks at me based on himself. And so he sees not where I'm, I am, but he sees where I'm going. And so he grades me on a curve. Come on, say amen, somebody. How many of y'all need a hookup on this test tonight? Satan inflicts as much pain as possible simply to get you mad at the wrong person. He wants folks mad at God. And it amazes me how many folks are mad at God. And I'm trying to figure out, as we saw the statistic, most folks don't even believe that there's a devil. Yo, yo, for real? Yo, for real. Y'all going to be mad at God? When you know that there is a Satan whose whole desire is to get you mad at God, now that you know the truth, then you can't go back here in ignorance. Understand this. It's not God who's destroying your life. It's the devil. But the good thing about God is God can take your messed up situation and God can turn your messed up situation around. Anybody know that to be true tonight? Praise the Lord. The Bible says in John 8, 44, and excuse me, I know some people go, why we got to talk about the devil every night? Well, I just want to be clear. If we're going to talk about a fight, you need to be aware of who your enemy is. Amen. And one of the things we understand from Scripture, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. White people ain't your enemy. Come on. It ain't 1954 anymore. Stop hating white people. It ain't the man holding you down. Come on. Say amen, somebody. It's the enemy. Come on in here, somebody. No, it's not your boss. Not your ex-husband. It's not your mom. It's not, the, it's not the person down the street. You have one enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not. We fight not against flesh and blood, but our fight is against the enemy. And This ain't in my notes, but let me just talk about this. And one of the things about the enemy is he stirs up drama in families. He stirs up drama against brothers. I'm just amazed. I mean, just even black people. 
Why is it, brothers, that when another black person, another black man walks down the street and he sees another black brother that we only look at each other and be like, hey, how you doing? I mean, like, have you ever experienced that, brothers? I mean, you look at another brother and it's almost like disrespectful to look him in the eyes like you want to fight him. or something. what what is wrong with us? And some of us sisters think every woman is out there trying to take our man. The enemy creates paranoia in us to make us hate one another, to cause division, to cause anger, to cause pain, to get our focus off of God and get our focus on our problems. Keep your head. Somebody say, keep your head. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. Revelation 12, 12 says, read everybody. Woe to the inhabitants of the what? And the... Why? 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 Why should we? Why the warning? Here's the warning. Because the devil <laughs> has come down to where? Having what? Because he knows that he. Did y'all hear that? Now, no disrespect to anybody. And I disrespect nobody's belief system. But I must I must attack error. Can I tell you something? We don't have like forever. Your life's decisions should not be based on what's going to be here on earth. Your life's decisions got to be based upon. Look, put it like this. Think how the enemy thinks. You know why he's raising all kind of havoc and the world is getting worse? Has anybody noticed that the world is getting worse? You know why? Because the enemy is getting desperate because he knows he has a short time. Amazingly, the devil knows this, but it's like the people that call themselves God's people that claim to know God's word act like they got all their lives. Forget, forget, forget about the second coming of Jesus, which the Bible actually says is going to happen soon. You may not live forever. Uh, somebody, 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 somebody said that we ought to live each day as if it were our last. Take advantage of these opportunities. Because the enemy knows he has a short time. Oh, the Bible says, and the dragon wasn't raised with the woman. We're going to deal tonight with the implications of what God's will is for our lives. How many want to know what God's will is for your life? Huh? What are you here for? Huh? Why are you here? Here it goes. I'm excited about this for tonight. Revelation 12, 17. Now, why am I coming from Revelation? Revelation actually tells us what it will be in the end. In other words, we're looking ahead of time, and what I'm about to give you is a description of what God's people should look like. Are y'all ready for this? The Bible says, and the dragon was enraged or angry with the woman. Now, the dragon in scripture represents Satan, which we discovered last week. The woman in scripture represents the church. Everybody understand that? If not, go to Ephesians 5 or look at Revelations 12, the entire chapter. The Bible says, and he went to make what? He went to make what? Make war with the rest of her offspring. In other words, the enemy has decided to make war with anybody connected with the church. Who do now notice specifically who he's making war with? Those who do what? Who keep the what? And have what? Have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan, and I told you this last week, last Tuesday, Satan hates God's commandments because God's commandments represent God's character and Satan hates God. So he therefore hates anybody that is about the commandments of God because the commandments of God are a representation of who God is. And I told you Satan straight up hates God. So if Satan sees God in you, then Satan hates you. 
Can we go to the word? Now, help me, Lord, tonight. Y'all buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. So sin came in the world through Adam and Eve. Watch this. When they jacked up, failed God, sinned. God told them, if you touch the tree, <laughs> he said, you will die. Enemy said, you won't surely die. I don't know what that means. You won't surely die. <laughs> Whatever. So here's the result of what happened. The Bible says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. Anybody ever done that before? <laughs> That's what sin makes you do. It makes you run from God. Among the trees of the garden. All right. The Bible says, and I love this. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I thought I was going to get an amen on that. Oh, do I have to preach that thing? I just read it to you. We sinned. We ran from God. And then God ran after us. Come on in here, somebody. Wow. Oh, come on in here, somebody. That is some good stuff. The Bible says when we jacked up, <laughs> almost said screwed up, but that's pretty much what I want to say anyway. Yeah. When we blew it. Anybody ever blow it before? The Bible does not say, and see, this is the picture that the enemy wants to create of God. He wants to create a picture of God that when we mess up, we got to run from God. We got to stop going to church. We got to stop hanging around spiritual people because God is mad with us in our lives. How many times you heard people say that? I, I ain't ready to go back to church yet. Well, well why not? Well, because I ain't living right. Can I, can I, let me be the first to explain to you. This stuff makes me angry. Church is not for people who are perfect. Church is not for folk except sinners. Church is for folk who do jack up. Come on in here. Church is for folk who do cheat on their wives. Church is for folk who do get high. Church is for folk who do get drunk. Church is for folk who do prostitute themselves. Uh, nobody's talking back to me in here. This thing is a salvation machine. Some folks call it a hospital. But notice what God does. And the problem with our world today, and in our church especially, is, is so many people have misrepresented God. See, when we mess up, we kick folk to the curb. When folks mess up, we tell them they're not worthy. But what God does is God says, where are you? And he's not looking for you to punish you. He's looking for you to help you. He's looking for you to save you. Oh, please, please hear that tonight. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're a molester. I don't care if you killed somebody. I, look, I will not judge you because I can't judge you. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for all the church folk out there that think that you're God's gift to creation, I got news for you tonight. Shut up. Because ain't nobody in here worthy except God. And if he had to look for you, he'll look for somebody else. He is no respecter of persons, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. I've seen folk come in church high and get saved. Come on in here, somebody. We don't believe that, though. It goes against human nature to believe that we really serve a God like that. And here's the mind-blowing statement that I want to throw at you right now. You are fully known and fully loved. Did you hear that? 
Where y'all at in here? You are fully known by God, yet you are fully loved. He knows everything about your sorry behind, but he still loves you. Come on. How can you not serve that kind of God? Your wife don't even love you that much. Come on in here. Your children don't love you that much. But God loves you. And notice, his love doesn't deviate. It doesn't get less. He doesn't suck his teeth and say, there they go again. But the Bible says he just keeps on coming after us. God never left us. We left him. And so notice what the Lord God did. The Bible says the Lord God covered them with garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And so, so, so he had to deal with the sin issue. They had sinned against God. Now watch this now. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of what? And what? And what? Now why wouldn't he want them after they sinned to take from the tree of life and live forever? Because God has no intentions of sinful people living forever. So the Lord God banished him. He loved them, but he had to move him out of the garden to protect him. Thank you, Lord, from himself. (laughs) How many know if God would have let them stay in there, they would have wandered right on over there to that tree and ate from the tree of life, not knowing that they would have perpetuated their own demise. To work the ground from which he had been. And here it goes, here it goes. Taken and after he drove the man out, Read with me, everybody. He placed on the east side. Come on, somebody say the east side. Are we on the east side of Cleveland tonight? Yeah, that makes me feel pretty good. We on the east. If you look in the Bible, every time the Lord talks about salvation, it always comes from the east. I'm just throwing that out there. All you West Coast folk out there, I'm just letting you know. West side, it comes from the east. Come on, say amen. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. That's an angel. And a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you see that thing? God had to put an angel in front of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to prevent folk from trying to get in and perpetuating eternal sin. Now let's go to Genesis 5. I'm trying to set you up here now. So we got a problem now. Adam and his wife have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We know that their son Cain. Now notice, let me tell you the thing about sin. If you got a problem with lying, your kids are going to have a problem with lying and stealing. Sin always gets exponentially worse in the next generation. Adam and Eve disobeyed and their son murdered. Stay with me now. So we've got a generation. Now, I've got to help me, Lord, to paint this picture. We've got a generation of the most intelligent people who are just Not many days away from creation itself. And the Bible says when God created man and and, and woman, he created them in perfect symmetry. Understand now that they say, and this is all just anecdotal, but they say that that, that the average human being uses 10% of their brain. I want to suggest we probably use like one. Come on in here, somebody. As dumb as we are, we make the same mistakes over and over again. Even animals don't do that. Come on, say amen, somebody. But they say we use somewhere between 5 to 10% of our brain. But when Adam and Eve were created, they were functioning on 100% brain power, freshly created from the hand of God. Ooh, can you imagine? 
Everything about Adam's environment he knew. He didn't need school. He didn't need education. He didn't need a PhD. He understood his environment to the extent that the Bible says after he was created, without any school, he looked at animals and said lion. He looked at animals and said tiger. He looked at animals and said platypus. He looked at insects and said arachnophobia. Come on, say amen, somebody. He was, he was, he was, he was made in the image of God. And most scholars suggested Adam and Eve must have been about 15 feet tall. Now, come on, sisters. Can you imagine Adam? Brother don't got no love handles. Come on in here. Uh, no such thing as receding hair. He is perfect. He is, when God created him, God looked at himself and made Adam. He is straight up fine. Come on in here, sisters. There is nothing wrong with him, and he got a job. And his own house. Come on in here, somebody. And he knows God face to face. Come on in here for the perfect ten. Somebody ought to say amen. And then, then you got Eve, brothers. Oh, my wife is sitting there, so I can't hang here too long. But if there ever was an Eve, a, a woman that was as close to Eve, It'd have to be my wife. Come on, say amen. Hey, look, I ain't sleeping on the couch tonight. Huh? But can, can, can I work with this for a while, baby? Just for the sake of the gospel? I'll just uh, look at Eve, brothers, if you will. 16 feet of fineness. No drama. Come on in here. Uh, come on, I can't hear nobody talk to me in here. Uh, eyes, perfect, and skin, perfect, and shape, come on in here somebody, flawless, but notice now, they have sinned now, and the effects of sin have not necessarily interrupted their mental capacity, they are dying at a slow rate, now watch the rate of death that they're dying at, the Bible says in Genesis 5-3, I gotta move, when Adam had lived 130 years, now, some of y'all old folk, watch this now. He had a son. Go ahead, verse. I don't know. Elder Harvey. Can I get a witness? Come on. Homeboy and homegirl were rocking steady at 130. And, and the Bible says his son was in his own likeness, in his own image. And he named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. My man is 500. At Lamar's class. Come on in here, somebody. Woo! So notice now, we have sinners living almost, almost a millennium. And altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. So understand now, Adam lived about 10 generations. Now, in our day, a generation is 40 years. But in this day, it's probably less than that now. Come on and say amen, somebody. But in, this day, in his day, a generation was about over 100 years. So Adam lived 10 generations. Follow me now. The flood happened at generation 10. Adam lived to about generation 9. So Adam lived almost a millennium. So here's the point I'm making. 
if there was ever somebody that God was going to use to warn the inhabitants of the earth about what God's way and his will was, it would be Adam. And come on, how many know he had a perfect story for them? He had a personal testimony. Not only did he hear God, but he saw God. He learned God's love from God's mouth. He saw God in the cool of the day. He experienced God. He sat with God. He talked with God. And he, for nine generations, told everybody, Adam was the Bible. But in the ninth generation, somebody say the ninth generation. He died. And then, can I show you what happened? All right, y'all ready now? In Genesis 6, as Adam, and I can see Adam with all, and how many know, how, how many of you have ever made, made, a, made a bad move and you, you see your kids making the same moves and you're trying to tell them, look, I've been there, done that. Look, I don't got style no more, <laughs> but I used to have style. Come on, say amen. Come now, now listen here, old folk. Now, you, you can't have sweatpants on with church shoes <laughs> and have style. Come on, say amen. But, but, but by the time you get over 40, you don't care no more. You done impressed everybody you need to impress. You don't care no more. Amen. But sometimes our kids don't receive us because they think that we're old fashioned. But there used to be a day. Come on in here, somebody. When we were the flavor of the month. Come on in here, somebody. There was a day. There was a day. I know I'm over 200 pounds now, but there was a day. I was the man. Come on, talk to me in here, my brother. And so Adam is doing what he can and, and nobody is listening to Adam. And watch what happened when human beings began to increase in number on the earth. And daughters were born to them. So everybody was being populated through the family of Adam. The sons of God, watch this. The sons of God represents the sons of Seth. Notice the distinction now. The sons of God, Seth was Adam's son. And there's a distinction now in Adam's family between sons of God and sons of men. Basically, this is just an explanation to suggest that there were those in Adam's family that believed Adam and served the Lord and that there were those who didn't. There are some people who run around here talking about demons had sex with women. Now, can I tell y'all something? Angels don't have, they, they are spirit. They ain't turned on by you. That don't make no sense. That's just a deranged mind of somebody trying to make sense of this. But this is going to make sense to you right here. The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married. Any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit. By the way, God decided that he was going to withdraw his spirit from the earth when believers and unbelievers started getting married. That was the beginning of the breakdown of the society. He's, watch what he says. He says, then the Lord said, my what? Will not contend with humans forever. Oh, stay with me, y'all. For they are mortal. In other words, they will die. Their days will be 120 years. So check this out now. God created man and they have gotten so bad that he's now saying, I've got to put a timeline on their existence. I'm going to destroy the world in 120 years. The Nephilim. These are giants. The Bible says we're on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, stay here, went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Now watch this. The Lord saw, now this is amazing to me, how great the wickedness, somebody say wickedness, of the human race had become on earth. It got bad. Now think of this. 
take wickedness and put it in the hands of geniuses. They were creating stuff. I've even read some articles from scholars who have suggested that the dinosaurs we know of, and I'm not saying I subscribe to this, but this is just a thought that you can consider, that the dinosaurs we know of, they called these people in those days antediluvians, those who lived before the flood, in their ingenuity and genius actually spliced human DNA and mixed it with the DNA of animals and created these monstrous beasts. They didn't have internet, electricity, but they would blow us away in intellect. They were not far away, just 10 generations from creation. Now watch this. Geniuses, the Bible says, had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Did you hear that? They had gotten to a place where every thought, sounds like 2012, of their minds was only evil all the time. And notice this, look at this, look at this strong word. And the Lord God regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. The Bible says he repented him and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race, I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds. <coughs> oh, that sounds familiar. Remember when the guy used to tell the armies of Israel when they go into a place, I want you to kill everybody. Kill the children, kill everybody. Animals, kill everybody. I mean, evil had spread to even the animals. And the creatures that move along the ground. And the Lord said, for I regret that I have made them but Noah found favor, or, or, the, or the word really means grace, in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, Noah made it out of that generation with his family members, not because he was a good boy, but because of the grace of God. Now watch this now. Why did God decide he wanted to destroy the earth with a flood? Because sin had gotten so bad, people had totally disregarded the law and the will of God. Watch this. Fast forward to Matthew 24. Watch the connection. But about that day, somebody say that day, or hour, no one, not even the angels, talking about when Jesus will come. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, Verse 37 says, as it was in the days of Noah, stay with me now, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 38, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen. So let me explain. The Bible is saying the same way that God got fed up with that generation and said that their thoughts are only evil continually, that this thing is out of hand, I've got to cut it short. He's saying that he's going to do the same thing in our day 
in time, a time is coming where God is going to have to say the wickedness in the earth is so out of control, it is so buck wild that I cannot allow them to destroy themselves and destroy others. I've got to bring this thing to an end. When fathers touch their children inappropriately, God says, I got to bring it to an end. When children take out guns and blow their brains out of their classmates, God says, their thoughts are only evil continually. Perversion is at an all-time high. I saw an article the other day where bestiality has become the norm in some parts of Europe. There's no regard for human life anymore. And the Bible says, just as in the days of Noah, God in his mercy is going to have to say, I got to stop this thing. Second Timothy 3 gives us an example of this. The Bible says, but mark this. Now, come on, say amen to this. The Bible's just telling the truth. All I'm doing is putting scriptures on the screen. There will be terrible times in the last days. What are you waiting for to get yourself right with the Lord? Watch this now. People will be lovers of themselves. Amen? Are we not saying that? Lovers of money. You can almost connect every war, every, all the, the, the financial collapse that we saw was because greedy people had no regard for, for old folk that had worked for years and lost everything. This world is cutthroat. The Bible even warns, man, be careful when you have children in this world. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. This is in the scriptures. The Bible is telling us this stuff was going to happen before it happened. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal. Come on in here, somebody. Not lovers of good. Treacherous. Come on, talk to me in here. Is this not going on in our world? Rash. Conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, and here's, and here's the thing. And this is the church's problem. Having the form of godliness. But denying the power, having nothing to have nothing to do with such people. Now, it amazes me because we live in a world where 75 percent, you may not be able to see all this, but 75 percent of everybody that breathes is a part of some religion. Thirty three percent of them are Christian. That's two point one billion. One point five billion of the world's population is 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 is, is Muslim or, or a part of Islam and the like. And you see the list. And um, go down 105. Church row. It's a church on every corner in this community. In Cleveland in general, there are churches everywhere. In the United States of America, there are more churches than there are McDonald's. Come on, that's saying something. 
It's competitive though. Come on, say amen, somebody. You would think with all these churches and all these religious people that the world wouldn't be getting worse. Can I submit to you tonight where I'm going? You know why the world is getting worse even though we got a lot of religious people? Because people have turned away from the commandments of God. They have turned away from the word of the Lord. Just because your name is a part of some church, just because your daddy pastors somewhere, just because your aunt is deaconess so-and-so, a mother so-and-so, evangelist so-and-so of the church, does not mean that you are not a sinner and have issues in your life. The only thing that will keep you from losing your mind and causing others to lose their mind as well is you got to be kept by the grace of God. So what matters to God? Is it religious affiliation? Let me show you right now. If someone practices lying, are they a Christian? Answer me. If someone practices lying, are they a Christian? No. The definition of a Christian is somebody who is like Christ. It's quiet in here. If someone practices lying, are they a Christian? No. They could be Baptist. They could be Seventh-day Adventist. They could be a Catholic. But that doesn't make them a Christian. Let me ask you another question. If someone practices murder, are they a Christian? Are they a Christian? If someone practices adultery, are they? By the way, and the Bible says anyone that looks. It, now it says that a woman. But the Bible got to catch up with the times. <laughs> Folks is looking at men and women and kids. It's if you just look, you committed adultery. If you practice adultery, are you a Christian? No. Now here's the thing. Satan doesn't want to kill you <laughs> as, he must, as he wants to use you. He does much more effective work if he can get all these religious people and these folk packing out these houses of worship and calling themselves such and such of this and pastor this and apostle this and, and reverend this and doctor this and, and, and pilgrim this and, and church member this and all this stuff. But their lives do not say Christian. The world, in fact, is turned off by God and the church. You know why? You know why church is out of style? Because there's too many hypocrites. My God, my God, my God. I mean, the deacon in the church is up lifting the offering and serving the pastor and doing all this stuff. And then that same night, he had the club getting his freak on. <laughs> Messing around with church members' daughters. Now, come on in here. He ain't no Christian. People at their job, at church, they lift up hands, praising God. Preach it, pastor. Go on, pastor. They're cutting the step and they're dancing, they're glorifying God. And then with the same mouth they spoke in tongues with, they walk into the office and they blank this person and they blank that person and they tell this person to go to blank. And I'm saying to myself, this is why the world despises the church because there's nobody following the will of God. How many people have you heard, including yourself, who said, I ain't going back to that church no more because there's too many hypocrites? Well, I got news for you. Hypocrites ain't going out of style and you ain't going to be able to get rid of them. You know why? Because that means you have to die. 
Everybody has been a hypocrite at some point or another. Come on, say amen in here. You look at me all high and mighty. And so what some people say is the law of God is done away with. We don't need God's commandments anymore. And, and so they almost try to make you feel like uh, that we need to bend, that we need to bend God's law to us. But we don't need to bend God's law to fit us. We need to bend to fit God's law. Come on, say amen in here. God ain't the one with the problem. <laughs> Come on in here. So everybody just lift your hands right now. We AA meeting. Say, I am a sinner. <laughs> I got the problem. And don't even look at your neighbor and touch them because you need to deal with you. Say, I got the problem. Yes, and I need to change. Matthew 7 tells us what God is concerned about. And this is what I'm going to talk about just for a brief minute after this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is what matters to God, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only <laughs> the one, help me read this now, who does, not says, not sings, not prays, <laughs> come on in here somebody, but who what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. Watch this. Many will say to me on that day, what day? The end of time, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name? And you know, you know how we do it. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. You, now notice what, it doesn't say evil sayers. So the question is, I asked you, I said, what matters to God? And the answer is doing God's will. Somebody say doing God's will. So the question is, is what is God's will? Psalms 48 says, I desire, David said, I desire, help me now, to do your, my, your, uh oh, is within my, the will of God is God's law in our hearts. Who says amen to what we just read? All right, Romans 2, 8, 18, because some of us will say that's Old Testament. Well, by the way, let me just throw this out here. <laughs> you think God gave us this great big old Bible so we can only interact with 27 books? All 66 of these, of these bullets is, is ready to be fired. Come on, say amen. The Bible says all scripture is inspired of God. Notice what the Bible says in Romans 2, 18. If you know his what? And approve of what is? Because you are instructed by the? So his will is his? Uh, people are, people, uh, there's a lot of books being written. Everybody wants to know, what's my purpose in life? What, what am I here? What's my destiny? That's a big time word now. Everybody, oh, I just want to get to my destiny. What am I de Can I tell you what your destiny is? First of all, don't worry about down the road. Your concern is right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the purpose of everybody in here is the same. You know what it is? Obey the Lord. Obey God. Can I tell you why? Because, see, if God were to show you everything of where he's taking you, then you wouldn't go. 
People just think God just wants me to be successful and he just wants me to have my paper together and he just wants me to be right and me drive a nice whip and have a nice position. But you didn't calculate cancer in there. And you didn't also calculate in there that you would have a miscarriage and that your husband would walk out on you and that you would lose that job and that there would be a financial collapse and you'd lose your house. See, we don't factor those things in. But see, the good thing about God is God allows those things to happen in our lives because God's destiny for our life is one thing, saved. He cares about one thing, save him. And if the job will get him saved, I'll give it to him. If the right husband is going to get them in the kingdom, then I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him. His desire is that we might be saved. The will of God is his law. The will of God is his what, everybody? Now, every government must have law. Come on, say amen. Oh, come on, talk to me, y'all. Uh, for example, let me, let me throw out. There are even some weird laws that I came across that were quite humorous in the United States of America. Let me throw some of them out to you. Uh, in Baltimore, for real, these are on the books. It is illegal to take a lion to the theater, you think? That might be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, another weird law. These are laws. Every government has laws. In Utah, you must yield to birds while driving on the highway. Come on, some of y'all have been locked up a long time ago. <laughs> Just get out the way. Come on, say amen to somebody. <laughs> and then that bird is reading a book called How to Cause an Accident. <laughs> and only 12 lessons. Help him, Lord. Uh, in, in Iowa, real talk. Kisses may last for as much... <laughs> but no more than five minutes. There must be some freaky folk in Iowa. They had to create a law that says y'all can't be out there making out in front of everybody. These are laws on the books. In Alabama, it is illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. I agree. I do. It's a good idea. It's a lot of sense. And you know what? I'm going to suggest that the legislatures here in, in, in Ohio will enact that same law. It's very important. Uh, in Idaho Falls, it is illegal to ride a motorcycle if you are a 90-year-old man. Excuse me. Hold on one second. Thank you. <laughs> this old lady almost killed me the other day. So y'all forgive me for that. It's a good idea. In Virginia, the Code of 1930 has a statute which prohibits corrupt practices or bribery by any person other than a political candidate. <laughs> a little partial, just a little partial. And then the last one. In Gary, Indiana, persons are prohibited from attending a movie house or cinema or other theater and from riding a public streetcar within four hours of eating garlic. I'm not making this up. But let's talk about some real laws, amen? Like a stop sight, a stoplight, amen? Why do we have a stoplight? To prevent us from killing ourselves and killing other people, amen? And it amazes me, often in Cleveland, things will happen, especially if you come down, uh, what's the name of that uh, hill, street, Forest Hill, that intersection is always out. And then, and, and, and it's like chaos over there. 
But, but that light is given to protect us. Amen? Let me give you another example. No, I thank God for this law. No texting while driving. I'm amazed at people. Don't look at me. Honey, let me preach this. Don't make, the, don't make me look like a hypocrite in front of these people. Okay. I admit, I have a texting while driving problem. This is a good law, though. Sometimes I'm texting. <laughs> shame, shame on me. I'm, just, I'm telling the truth. Sometimes I'm driving. I mean, I'm, I'm doing more than texting. I'm on the internet. And I'm checking emails. I'm taking notes for sermons. Seriously. And I'm sitting there, and it's like the light has been green for five minutes. And people are blowing their horns behind me, and I have no idea of it. This is a good law. This is, and listen, truthfully, seriously, there are so many lives that are being lost because people are not paying attention on the road. They say a person that texts while they're driving is, more, is like 10 times more impaired than a drunken driver. We have a tendency to want to control behavior, but we cannot change people's hearts. How many know, these, especially traffic laws, traffic laws are given to guide us and to protect us. But how many know that law is not anybody's heart out here? Come on, say amen. That law ain't in my heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, they can, they can legislate it in court, but it's not going to change my heart. And, and, and only if I see a police. Well, I, how many of y'all, when you see a police, man, you just hit the brakes? The law is not in your heart. You're just doing it so you won't get caught. But notice what Hebrews 8.10 says. He says, I will, notice what God in his government, he says, I will put my laws into their what? And write them in their Proverbs 28, 26 says, and he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Come on, say amen to somebody. How many know you'll do some stuff if it's not for the grace of God? I got two hands in here. How many have done some stuff? And you look back at yourself and say, how did I do that? So throughout history, God gave Adam Adam failed in transmitting the law. So God himself says, I've got to write the law myself. Do you know that the Ten Commandments were not written by Moses? But the Bible says they were written by the finger of God. Because God knows that when there is no law, when there is no will of God, people will not be able to protect themselves. Stay with me. Stay with me. And this law is a law of love. How many know it's a law of love? The rules that I, I lay out for my children, <laughs> Lord have mercy. I told you my kids climbed out the window the other day, second floor, decided they wanted to go to church uh, the fast way. But there was a law of safety in my home. But sometimes people test laws because they don't trust the lawgiver. The Ten Commandments reveal three things. The Ten Commandments are God's will. How many agree with that? How many agree with that? It amazes me how people say, the Ten Commandments, we ain't supposed to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. And these are married people. So okay, let's share wives then. You just eliminated the law. Well, let me come in your house, take your flat screen TV whenever I want to. They're a revelation of God's character, the requirements for life, and they're relationship-based. Now watch this. For example, the speed limit. Almost in a lot of places in Cleveland that had to get used to this, is 25 uh, miles per hour, or 35, right? That's the rule. How many have that rule in your heart? Now East Cleveland is helping me to get that in my heart. 
Can I be honest with you tonight? Can I tell you what the bill, I got a bill at home. $900. I'm like, I'm, where are they? Are they using drones now to catch us? It's ridiculous. I need to slow my behind down though. I'm getting mad talking about it ain't right. They should be hiding up. Slow down, boy. Or when you see that police officer, you ever had that feeling when you're driving along? Man, I mean, and, you, and you're playing gospel music, you got to do some Kirk Franklin on, and man, you're just enjoying yourself, and then you see that moving thing, and the lights, I mean, the lights don't even turn on. I mean, and you're getting over, you know what I'm saying? They, they ain't even know, and they, and they ain't even know too lame, you're all in the shoulder, you're lost, oh, let me pull myself back together. I mean, we get fear in our hearts, because we're not obeying the law. We're, but see, understand this. When you, and sometimes my wife will tell me to slow down. You know what I'm saying? When she sees a cop, because she, well, I mean, she has good reason. I mean, I've cost us a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So every time she sees a cop, my wife will be like, slow down, slow down, slow down. And then every now and then, I'm doing the speed limit. I'm like, calm down. It's all good. I'm following the law. <laughs> Whether the cops are coming or not, I don't need to get afraid. Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Come on, say amen, somebody. But you know what would change everything? What if the cop pulled up behind me and I knew him? Let's say it's my dad. And he's a police officer. And he sees me speeding. Hey, man! How you doing, man? Brian, I was about to tell you to slow down and give you a ticket. But because I know him. Come on, say amen. It changes the scenario. Now, we asked you what was sin. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is it's lawlessness. What is the opposite of sin? The Bible says in Romans 13, 10, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the what? If we love God, we'll do what he says. Let me move, let me, let me move through these slides. This is somewhere I want to get. Watch this now. The Bible says in John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, it's all about relationship. Keep my commands. How many agree to that word of God tonight? Is that clear? If we love God, we will do what God says. We will follow his commandments. John 15, 10, Jesus himself. Some folks say Jesus did away with the commandments. But Jesus himself says, I have done what? kept my father's commandments and I abide in his what everybody I abide in his love Matthew 22 and verse 39 says the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself the law is all about love and on these two commandments hang what all the law and the prophets so the commandments of God are about God's love first John 2 3 says now by this we know that we know him wow how do we know that we're in relationship with God and that we know God if we keep his commandments? First John 2, 4 says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Would you say amen? amen. What, are, what are God's commandments? Let's look at real quick. I'm going to give you an illustration. And I'm going to let you go. Number one, God says the first commandment is have no other gods before me. No graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor thy father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. 
Don't lie. Don't covet. One of the things I'm amazed by, though, is people are very protective of these commandments over here, but they're not as protective of these commandments over here. You know why they're protective? Can anybody tell me why people are so protective of these commandments? Because they affect us. Selfish. The commandments are all about what, everybody? All about love. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we do what? And his commandments are not what? Love always leads to obedience. Would you say amen? amen? What is the role of God's law? I'm going to need some help here in a minute. I need you to come get this mirror for me, brother. While they're getting that, the Bible says, Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments always. The Bible says that it might be well with them. Now, I want you to stand this thing up. Yes, right side up. Praise God. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Yes, lay that thing right there. Praise his name. Give these men a round of applause. They're old, but they still got a little something left in them. A little something left in them. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. The Bible says we're to keep God's commandments that it might be what? Well with them and their children. The commandments are like the laws of the land. They're there to protect. Somebody say protect. Why is that guardrail there? To keep you from killing yourself. Now watch this. The Bible says, this is where I'm in. <laughs> Half heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Romans 3.20 says, through the law, we become conscious of our what? So the law, the purpose of the law is to help me to become conscious of sin. Romans 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin is was it, if it had not been for the, for the law. The Bible says in verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Let me go to uh, James 1. The Bible says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away immediately and forgets Lord have mercy, what, he's, what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues, continues in it, not forgetting what they do. So watch this now. The law, the Ten Commandments, are a mirror. All right. Now I want to illustrate something to you today. Is there anything on my face? Huh? How do you know? You can see it. Let me ask you a question. Can I see it? You know, I was saying to my wife the other day, do you realize you can't see your face? I mean, that thing just, it, it occurred to me. I mean, you must have a really big face if you can see it. We cannot see our face. How many think it's a good idea for me to just continue this message looking like this? How many, would, how many of you would focus on what I'm saying? No, 
if I remained in this condition? Yeah, I might be a little distraction. What about going to the Cavs game? Just hanging out with friends or, or going to a funeral, perhaps, with this on my face. Do you think that that would be just a little bit distraction? There's something wrong with me. The problem is I can't see it. You know, but by the way, this does make a good point. So many of us, it's real easy for us to see other people's stuff. <laughs> it's so hard for us to see ours. That's a whole nother sermon. Now, how can I recognize my problem? I got to look in the mirror. Now, one problem is many of us are afraid to see ourselves. But remember, the scripture says that the law is a mirror. The purpose of the law, and this I hear people say now, we ain't under the law no more. We don't got to keep the law. Brothers and sisters, you don't understand the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to save anybody. The purpose of the law is to show somebody they need to be saved. So if I look at the law, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I see I got something on my face. And so what happens is, is I go to Jesus, who is the expert at cleaning up messes. Because now I know what my situation is. I go and I begin to clean. But see, it doesn't all happen at once. And, and I'll go back and I'll see, oh... I'm getting better. So, no, so notice now, the law not only shows me what's wrong with me, the law also shows me how I'm growing. Come on in here, somebody. So I let Jesus deal with my stuff. And, and I see that I'm not like I used to be. Come on in here, somebody. I got to have the law. I got to know that I should not have any other gods before me. I gotta know that I've been making idols out of stuff. I've gotta know that I've been taking the Lord's name in vain. I've gotta know that I've been breaking the Lord's Sabbath. I've gotta know that I've not been honoring father and mother, that I've been lying and murdering and committing adultery and coveting and stealing. I've got to have something that shows me the way. I don't know about you today, but I thank God for his law because if there was no law, I would not know my condition. And how many know, oh, the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Come on in here, somebody. Yeah. He washes me yeah. white <laughs> as snow. Come on, somebody. When I first stood before the law. And how many know that the law really is Jesus? Yeah. Jesus shows me myself. Come on in here, somebody. And I no longer have the guilt and shame of my past because I've got something to measure myself up against. But the problem is so many of us are measuring ourselves up against what some preacher said. Or measuring ourselves up against what somebody told us. Or measuring ourselves up against what the Joneses have. Or measuring ourselves up against what somebody says we should be. But thank God for his commandments because his commandments lead me to Jesus and then I can see myself the way Jesus sees me. And Jesus says, look at yourself. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Don't beat up yourself because the only reason I'm showing you yourself is so that you'll know to come to me and say, Lord, create within me a clean heart. 
take out my lying tongue and take out my lustful eyes and take out my rebellious spirit and take it out God I see it now but if you don't see your mess you will not want to change Come play for me, my brother. We need to know God's will. And we don't just need to know it. We need to follow his will. The law points out our sin. But thank God for Jesus. How many know Jesus took your sins? Come on, y'all. If there was no need for a law, then Jesus never would have died. But you know why he died? Because we couldn't keep the law. Come on in here. How many are thankful today that you didn't have to die for yourself? You're not even worthy. I got enough junk in my life where I can't save myself. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, (laughs) as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, gives us an example of what it means to follow the law. Come on, watch this now. God told him, Go and die for them. But when he got into the garden and the weight of all of our sins, thank you, Jesus, was upon him, he was tempted by the devil to disobey God. And the Bible says that Jesus says, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus kept going up to Calvary. I thank God that he followed the law of God. His will was more important than his own personal desires. And when we follow God's will, the Bible says that Jesus will take us straight to that cross. He'll crucify us with himself and the old man. Come on, somebody. How many tired of your ways? How many tired of messing up? How many tired of jacking up? How many tired of failure and and, and sin? God says, if you will just come and take my yoke is easy. And now, when we accept Jesus, the Bible says instead of, in the book of life, our name saying Myron Edmonds, porn addict. It says Myron Edmonds, pardoned. John Doe, adulterer. It's blotted out. When we call on Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life, and it says, pardon. Oh, I live to preach this, what I'm about to say right now. I I live to say this. No matter what you've done, there is no sin that is too disgusting that God cannot forgive it. That's the gospel. God says, I love you with an everlasting. Come unto me. He couldn't ignore sin. He could not change the law. So the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Thank you, Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many thank God for grace in here tonight? How many thank him for grace tonight? Listen, I've got to end this thing tonight. What am I saying? Satan's goal is to get us to not be serious about God's will and God's law. Listen, 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 listen. 
to break God's law is to sin. And sin is hateful to God. Don't look at sin as just making a mistake. But every time we sin, the Bible says we put the Son of God on the cross afresh. It's about relationship. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hurt my wife. I don't want to hurt my children. And we ought to feel that much more about God. God, I don't want to sin, as Joseph says. I don't want to do this thing and sin against you. You did all this for me. Why can't I keep your Sabbath? Why can't I not have any other gods? Why can't I honor my father and my mother? Why can't I not steal and not murder? God, you are worthy of my obedience. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I feel led tonight to make this appeal. I know we've been using those cards. And I want you to take that card out. Father, I want to pray right now. We need to trust you to the extent that we want to do what you say. Your word says, if we love you, we will keep your commandments. My brother and my sister, I want you to take a moment right now. Your name is already there. If it's not, write your name. We want to pray for you. You got to respond to God's word tonight. Check there by the grace of God. I want to do his will in my life. <laughs> oh! We want to do his will. If that's your desire, just check that box right there, your name there. We want to pray for you. Somebody may need to give their life to the Lord and be baptized. Somebody may want Bible studies so that you can know more of what God's will is. But you, you're not going to walk in here and just hear a sermon and not respond. The word says that when God speaks his word, that we've got to follow his word. We don't want to just be hearers, but we want to be doers. How many want to be a doer of the will of God tonight? Just lift your hand. How many want to please the Lord? It's about relationship.